Welcome to the Hey Salespeople podcast, where we focus on delivering immediately actionable best practices for sales professionals. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Hey, salespeople, it is our great pleasure to welcome Ernest Owusu to the show today. Welcome, Ernest. Thanks so much for having me. Glad to be here. And I said we because I also have my trusty co-host, Sean Day Person, with us. Welcome, Sean Day. Thanks. Hello. So Ernest is the Senior Director of Sales Development over at Sixth Sense. And Sixth Sense is an account-based orchestration platform. We'll talk a little bit about that, but we're going to talk about all things, obviously, kind of sales development and a range of other topics today. One of Ernest's parts of background is that he was a professional football player. I think everyone probably asked you about that. So I'm not going to, we're not going to ask you about that. Um, you can, can and should listen to other podcasts you've been on to, to hear more about that. What's something that when you're on these podcasts, you're not asked about, but you wish you were asked about? Yeah. I mean, I think one thing that's kind of interesting is I'm first generation. Both my parents came from Ghana. And uh, it's interesting because, you know, I, I obviously played football, but a lot of the things that I've kind of brought into my life in terms of, you know, how I tapped the football scape, uh, landscape and how I kind of got into tech come very much from the fact that my dad came here with a suitcase. And that's all he had. And he kind of instilled in me hard work. And especially, you know, the whole thing with like diversity and tech is really important to me. But my background is very entrenched in that. And, uh, it's something I really care about. Oh, interesting. Do you have you been back to Ghana at all? Yeah. Do you ha- have any recommendations of, <laughs> of yeah. things to do and see when the quarantine clears? Sure. So my family is from a city called Kumasi. Uh, it's about six hours away from the, the capital of Accra. Unfortunately, I haven't been in quite some time, primarily because of football. My dad is actually there right now. But interesting, he can't come back <laughs> because of COVID. I know. So I guess it's kind of a blessing because you have a lot of family over there, so it's great. But I know my mom's missing him. So uh, in due time, we'll be back, though. I've always wanted to go. And I back in business school, I had a close friend, um, also an athlete. He played professional basketball and went uh, subsequently to business school, also from Ghana. And he he would you know just rave about the experience there, and was always inviting me to 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 you know go visit, stay with family, and that sort mm-hmm. of thing. That'd be yeah. an incredible an incredible treat. Yeah. Um, you brought up the the. I guess we can t- touch a little bit on diversity. You know, we have. I am actually the minority on this podcast, which is great. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I'll, I'll throw a stat at you that that blew my mind. So we we looked we look often at email reply rates, and we took census data, and from census data, there are certain names right that are more stereotypically African American, Indian, Chinese. Caucasian, like whatever. So if, if, you know, 95% of people with XYZ name in the census are a particular ethnicity, then we can code that person, you know, that recipient as uh, by ethnicity. So we looked at, we looked at the sender's ethnicity and we found that sending basically the same emails, if you're, if you have a, you know, black or African sounding name for the same emails, there's a 13% lower reply rate from the receivers. and that may be conscious or unconscious bias. I'm wondering, and I've observed that, you know, I think even from sales loft salespeople who are sending, is that something you've observed? And, and um, yeah, I mean, let's explore that a little bit. Yeah. So definitely not surprised by that. And I, I will say um, when I first got into this, you know, whole SDR game that we're all in right now, you know, I didn't really know how much I'd be calling and emailing people, especially emailing. And when I realized I'd be using cadences to reach out to people, my first gut reaction was, you know, my name's Ernest Wusu. It sound for those of you who don't know, it sounds like an African name. 
people getting an email from an African person might give the perception that they're getting scammed or something like that. It's something that I was conscious of. And I'm curious to know uh, from people that I've hired, because I do like tend to hire with diversity in mind, uh, what that would look like for them. Because I, I definitely think that's something that exists in the landscape. And then how do you approach that? How do you navigate um, the feelings of insecurity or however you'd, you'd want to describe it um, as you're going about sending those emails to people? Yeah, honestly, it's it was kind of one of those things that like I was aware of the fact that it might be happening, but I didn't want to define me and make internet as a way that um, I kind of point to why I wasn't successful within my approaches. Um, you know, I think with anything through sales, especially taking like a metric based approach with, with cadences, uh, like numbers kind of tell a story. So if you're running towards a certain number and like your conversion rates are X, Y, Z, you got to pivot uh, accordingly. So, and granted, like this is like, I guess back in my day, if you want to say that, you know, we didn't have as strong, of metrics as we do right now. So it was kind of hard to track that. I was only really looking at opens and it wasn't really um, as, as in-depth as it is right now. But um, I, I didn't really notice anything that kind of stood out in comparison to my peers. But I can say if I did, I would have hit the, home, the phones a little bit harder just because I want to find a way to get in. I hear you. Yeah. And, um, you know, for m- me with my name, Shonday, I have the same sentiment and um, the same concerns as I'm approaching a new territory, um, new customers, cold emailing, cold calling. Um, one thing that I do is that I notice with a lot of those scams, they spell things wrong or the grammar is pretty off. So I'm very particular in the way that I word things and make it very conversational, even starting in the subject line, incorporating videos in the emails, anything to do to show them that I'm human and not just some type of bot. Yeah, most definitely. And I will say though, you know, even with all of that, and I think this kind of goes back to like being a black person in tech where there is a diversity problem where most organizations are like, don't have very many others. If you want to say, regardless of what kind of circumstances I face, I've very much stood to the fact that I'm not going to change who I am or kind of pivot in a way where I'm not comfortable. So um, if there was a situation where my emails just weren't landing and it was because everyone thought I was scamming them, I would find a way to just keep either marching down that path or going in a direction that would find the success that I needed. But I wouldn't change my name or do anything different like that because that's not something I'm comfortable with. Appreciate that. One implication of this, right, is as six senses like AI to the core. And this is one of the this actually brings up one of the ethical concerns about AI is that if you if you allow AI to just optimize on what's happening, you can allow tremendous biases to come into play. So like imagine that there was an AI that decided whether or not you should hire salespeople based on any traits. Like that AI would look at that data, the 13% lower reply rate and say like, don't hire black salespeople, which is, you know, horrific. But what, what do you think we can do? Obviously we have to configure the AI to not inject bias into the system. Given the fact that this is like, it's not on the salesperson, it's actually on the people who are receiving these sales emails, right? It's on the prospect side. What do you think we can do as an industry to change the... I'm going to give the prospects the benefit of the doubt, like affect, alter the implicit biases that they have in responding to salespeople of color. Yeah, sure. Like I think with everything that's happened this year, people are very well aware of the importance of having diversity within your organizations. But I think, you know, though there's awareness, people don't necessarily understand uh, like the impact it can make. Uh, simply having some, like one person, two people within your organization who's just different. There's like an other, I guess, uh, exposes to people to a different level of empathy that maybe they weren't quite aware of. And that's kind of how you solve that problem. So, you know, if organizations can continue and, you know, 
not hoping that this wasn't a thing that, you know, obviously with, you know, George Floyd and all the, the interesting ha- things that happened in our climate where people are making adjustments and it's something that's kind of short term. Um, if people can make this a long term strategy, it's just going to overall increase the, the empathy that organizations have. So uh, you will have people like Ernest Owusu in your email on a daily basis internally. So when you see that externally, uh, maybe you won't get as triggered, I should say, uh, when you see that, because it's just it's going to have a long term impact if people can consistently do it. Yeah, something that I'm doing is, um, I mean, one is there is this Harvard implicit bias test that that people can take. You just Google Harvard implicit bias. And I think that helps you realize like you think, hey, I'm not biased. And yet you take this test and you find out what, you know, where your biases are and whether that's race, gender, uh, ethnicity, anything, sexual orientation, like you'll discover, you'll discover where your biases may exist. Uh, I mentioned before we started recording that I'm always reading something. And the thing I happen to be reading coincidentally right now is the autobiography of Malcolm X. And um, it's a book that I would have to say makes me uncomfortable, you know, I mean, and it's supposed to, and it's supposed to open my eyes to, you know, what has happened with people of color throughout the world, uh, especially in the US. And how, how much have things, I mean, I speak from a position of naivete, right? Like I grew up in Miami, went to an integrated high school, but ever since then, you know, I've sort of been living in this world that you guys are, you know, the two of you guys are living in, you know, to what extent has the world changed from when you talk to your folks who were living through that in the 40s and 50s and 60s and your grandparents, to what extent has the world changed? Yeah, that's a great question. And I'll say that it's it's changing little by little. I think that they're, um, the way people respond to certain things that happened in the past has definitely improved, but we still have a long way to go. I think with unfortunately situations like George Floyd where it kind of forces people to like really take a look at themselves and to take a look at everything and kind of open their eyes to things that they weren't quite aware of. Um, that's kind of how this gets solved. Uh, but again, this is very much a long game. It's going to take quite some time uh, and a lot of different unique experiences for people to kind of get to the point where they realize how things should be and how things can be if everyone's treated fairly. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I'm remembering for Malcolm X, his father was killed by police. I think only one of his uh, like father's generations of relatives actually died of natural causes. Just, you know, just again, horrific. Th- thanks for talking to me about that. It's an un- it's actually uncomfortable. I should admit, like for myself, it's uncomfortable for me to talk to you about this. But I'm, I'm glad I am because uh, to the extent that, you know, uh, it, it can help change things like that 13% lower response rate. I, I think that's uh, that's an important thing to do. Well, we'll shift gears uh, a little bit here. And uh, again, thank you for that. So I, I just finished last night, actually. So super coincidentally, your CMO, Latine Conant's uh, great book, No Forms, No Spam, No Cold Calls. And it's it's really an operating guide to how Sixth Sense runs sales and marketing and account-based strategies. And I, I was actually left with a few questions. So I'd love to hit you with with a couple of those questions. Because I was like, do they really, really, is this just in a book? Or do they really, really do this? <laughs> so I mean, like, really, really no forms, no spam and no cold calls. So the, the first question we had for you is, um, you know, Latin, Latin talks about the dark funnel, which is identifying accounts that are in market for your product, and engaging them, you know, beforehand, and then it's not about demand generation, as it is about demand capture. So are you guys really only engaging accounts that get illuminated by by the Sixth Sense dark funnel detector? Yeah, more or less, honestly. And, and the reality is it's our marketing team is doing things to push them down funnel 
to make them hit these higher buying stages or lower buying stages, should say, uh, where they are ready to open to an opportunity. Um, and in the event, it's kind of the same thing. You know, it's it's we're transitioning away from MQL model, like where people are like primarily focused on leads. We're now going towards the account situation. So um, if you do, which happens more times than not, because our market team is tasked with driving as many, we call it six QAs as possible. Um, if you do have the six QAs and you are primarily tasked with doing that, uh, one interesting fact that we kind of do, um, which... Uh, kind of ties in a lot of the model of like how the traditional MQLs uh, were done in the past is when those accounts hit those buying stages, similar to how you treat like a hard inquiry or a contact us where you only really have like five minutes to respond, we treat that exact same principle on the account level. So if we notice that an account uh, moved into a, per- we call it purchaser decision, which is essentially a 6QA. When those accounts move into those higher buying stages, we see that first thing in the morning, we have a dashboard set up that actually lives within the hub exchange in Salesforce where we can see that that account moved forward and then we have the team attacking that then and there because it's literally the exact same principle. Like if you know that there's a company that's doing all this research, all, all crawling on your website, demonstrating all this activity that, that very much aligns to your current customers and you wait two weeks to reach out to them, they're doing that research because they're evaluating your solution. So uh, why would I wait for my competitor to get in there? Or why would I wait for them to inbound to our competitor or another company? Um, I'll take that information on my own and reach out to them with some strong value ads based on what they're doing research with uh, to convert them into an opportunity. So once they get to that point, is it the marketing team that continues to push them with more information or does the SDR team or is that part of the same group? That was one other thing I was going to ask. Yeah, sure. It's a good question. So it's it's definitely more in the hands of uh, the SDR BDR team. So um, again, so there are five. There are kind of like five stages. So it's target awareness and consideration. Those are the lower stages where they're not quite ready for us to have a conversation. They're not really doing any research. Not quite aware of Sixth Sense. Our marketing team is owning those three stages and doing whatever they can to push them into what we call a six QA. Once they hit to a six QA, which is like basically those higher stages where. You know, honestly, when accounts get into those stages, they convert at a much higher rate than any other stage. But once they get into the stage, then the BDRs are going after them pretty aggressively, working with their AEs uh, to convert them into opportunities. Interesting. And so what type of information does that SDR get when they get that lead? Yeah, sure thing. Uh, so uh, the strongest ones I take a look at are first and foremost keyword data uh, surface from third-party sources, as well as um, anything we see on our website. So we can literally see, and th- this is like the, the really cool thing about combining uh, you know, our predictive model with intent data is we can literally see, you know, what website they went to, what keywords they're searching for, and kind of what I call build like a, a data-driven value prop around why you should talk to someone. And the biggest missing piece that I've seen with like this this data that you have on the account level uh, from keywords as well as uh, portions of the website that people are going to is a lot of sales teams don't know how to action off of that. It's like, great, I see this information, so I know I should be going after them, but what should I say? Um, so what we've essentially done is we built this thing called value cards. Like Definitely play on words of battle cards, so I can't take too much credit. <laughs> it's basically this thing called value cards, where depending on certain portions of our website or certain keywords that are servicing up within the account, what does it mean if our target persona is doing that research? So a great example is if an ABM, if a demand gen leader is on our customer testimonial page, they're researching ABM, why is that demand gen leader doing that? Like, what are they trying to do within their job? And what, what kind of business problem are they trying to solve? And we have it, we have it segmented. So when the BDRs see that, uh, we have cadences that we can use accordingly, as well as call scripts, and just an overall understanding uh, of what's going on at the persona level so we can reach out to people with uh, meaningful messages. For you guys, where you just mentioned you have target awareness, consideration, decision, and purchase. I, when I was reading the book, I, purchase meant something different than I thought. Like, I thought purchase meant they're engaged with an AE and they're sort of, in the last mile of purchase, but what does purchase mean to Sixth Sense? 
Yeah, sure. So and those are actually pulled from, I think, a Forrester uh, research report from a couple of years ago. But purchase decision don't necessarily mean they actually want to purchase. It's, it more so means that they're like, like literally on the cusp of opening an opportunity. And uh, there are a lot of different factors that come into play of whether or not an account is in those stages. So a lot of it is like, you know, engaging with first party, third party data, the profile fit from the account level, uh, the overall behavior that aligns with uh, uh, previous customers, et cetera. Um, but it's it's kind of more or less of that kind of combined at the tail end uh, before we reach out to them. Uh, so just to confirm, like if you have a, an account that you from an ICP point of view have said, this is a tier one account, perfect fit for the company. And yet there are, they're not, you don't get any key, they're not searching for keywords. They're not uh, on your website. You're going to leave them alone. Yeah. So that's, that I will say is the challenging part, especially for AEs. (laughs) 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 Um, But you know, honestly, the data speaks for itself. Like we know, like for all the time that we've we've been doing this, that the accounts that are in those higher stages of purchase and decision, the six QAs not only convert quicker, but at higher rates of even, not even just opportunities, but even close a business. So like you can do that if you want to, but just know that your your chances of converting are, are, are slimmer than if you're going after the six QAs. But, but one thing I will say though, is the way we ha- kind of have our, our prioritization set up is to your point, we prioritize our like AB accounts, our tier one, tier two accounts first. So the, when we see those accounts in six QA, we go after those accounts. And then after that, we go after our non-target accounts because, uh, you know, we want to make sure that the AEs are, are getting the accounts they want uh, based upon uh, like what they're seeing as a strong profile fit. Say there's a scenario where you are an organization and um, you have a very close competitor who stands out in one aspect of things. They sell XYZ widget when you sell XYZ widget. And you see the customer fits everything um, about the ideal customer profile, except they're also looking for the Z that you don't have. Do you reach out to that person and where do they stand um, as part of the, the tiering structure? Yeah, sure. So a lot of, like I mentioned, a lot of what we do that informs our outreach is based upon what they're searching. So uh, if there's a certain keyword that you identify that is not aligned to your product and is a way that you, like, you know you're going to have to handle the objection. And you see, like, say, for example, say there's like this one piece of your product that you don't have. And you also see they're also searching for your competitor, like build the data-driven value prop based upon that and know how you should handle that objection even before it gets risen. People have this data out there, but people have not really been thinking about like how to action off of that. If you have those pieces of information together, you can marry it and handle objections before they come and also reach out to people with the information they want even before they reach out and request a demo. You mentioned prioritization a couple of times. And I also understand from the book that you operate under this principle of dynamic territories. C- can you explain what dynamic territories means and, and how you how that actually translates into your execution? Yeah, sure thing. So super cool. So we have um, our AEs kind of handpick like their ABC tier one, tier two accounts uh, based on profile fit, but the ones they really want to get a conversation with. But on the flip side, we also have, because uh, the reality is like all this information is happening in the back end, whether you want to respond to it or not. So if we see that there are certain accounts that are moving into these different buying stages, similar to an inbound where you have like a, any kind of lead to account matching software where you push them to the right uh, BDR and AEs, when those accounts are moving forward and, and demonstrating they want to buy from us, we then push them into the territories and have the BDRs and AEs work them. Uh, and, and the really cool thing about that is, especially if you have like a, a rather large TAM, there's a lot of accounts you don't have the ability to go after because you're just not looking at them. And having dynamic territories allows you to make sure that you know, obviously, depending on your capacity model, um, that you're actually going after the accounts that do want to have a conversation with you, uh, regardless of whether or not they're named to an A or BDR. I read it as two sort of two pieces. One is 
you've got your set of accounts and you have them for one quarter. And I guess some stuff could come in that maybe wasn't already assigned. And then, so that there's one aspect of dynamic, which is swapping the accounts on a quarter, a portion of the accounts, I guess, on a quarterly basis, not all of them. And then the other piece is that they're being dynamically prioritized. So each day you might find that there's somebody who is progressing down the stages of that funnel. Did I, did I have that correct? Correct. That's correct. And I don't know if you were there when it was implemented, but oftentimes AEs get very unhappy <laughs> and, you know, Sean Day can probably attest to this <laughs> oh, <yeah>. when, when <laughs> you shift the territories underneath their feet, SDRs included, um, you know, how, how does your organization deal with, with that shifting territory? Yeah. So I, I will say our, our BDRs and SDRs are pretty happy about it because they get fresh accounts on a quarterly basis, which is reassuring. Um, I will say AEs don't tend to like that as much, uh, but our I will say the the big portion of their territory that's handpicked based upon like profile fit and things along those lines, they know they can at least have comfort in the fact that that's not going to change. Um, and they also have comfort in the fact that you know when you do work off of a dynamic territory system, especially if you have higher conversion rates off of those accounts through prioritization, that it's, it's going to help you generate more meetings. So uh, we do a lot of like making sure that everyone understands the data behind like why we're going after accounts and kind of informing like what they should be thinking about. And that's kind of more or less what's been helpful uh, to get the BDRs and A's to push down these. So uh, Ernest and I actually met in person. We were both invited to this amazing experience at Stanford where they brought in sales professionals along with academics to just explore different concepts in the realm of sales. And what ended up happening was the academics presented their papers to salespeople and we commented on the practicality of some of that research. Uh, Ernest, what was I have a lot of fond memories from that, including meeting you. Uh, and I'm sure you walked up to me because I'm very introverted. So I think you walked up and, and introduced yourself. What's your fondest memory from that experience? First off, just being in a room with like highly functioning, really successful, like really strong thought leaders in the game was really cool to be a part of. Um, two, obviously, you know, with, with Mark Hurd, uh, getting the opportunity to hear him speak uh, a couple of weeks or months before he passed away. I thought that what he had done at Oracle was amazing. Uh, so just actually getting to hear him and, and hear him field questions was great. But there was one portion that like really stuck out to me. And there, I think you always get little tiny tidbits here and there from different speakers. Um, I forget exactly what his name was, but what I try and teach my team to be very value focused, like understand our personas, know like what gets them to tick, what's the thing you can give them. And there was one person in particular where he had a, a quote or an exercise that he runs with his team where he basically asks people to talk about what their prospect does for two minutes at length without stopping. And it kind of got me to think about it because like I, even where, you know, I create systems where I really make sure my team understands their personas and like what tech do they use, what are they measured on, what's their day-to-day like? I don't think I would be able to do that. But it more so just kind of opened my eyes to the fact that uh, as sales professionals, especially in this day and age where you have to be very value focused and, and leave with that upfront, that a lot of us couldn't even do it for 60 seconds. That was probably the biggest piece I took away from that, from all the uh, different conversations, because uh, it's so important with how we're selling nowadays. I know very, very few salespeople and even leaders to a certain degree can't do that. One of my favorite takeaways that you mentioned, I mean, a bunch I, I had as well in the experience with Mark Hurd talking about Oracle's hiring practices, I think was just transformative in my mind. But one of the ones I remember was one of the hosts of the event talked about how people make decisions and when they're more likely to say yes and no. And it's stuck in my mind that people are far more likely to say yes to things in the morning before they have decision fatigue. So uh, now I always tell account executives, 
if you're going to schedule a deal closing meeting, schedule it for the morning <laughs> and, and not and, and not the afternoon. That makes sense. And then the last kind of you know six cents slash SDR question I have for you is, or book related, I guess I should say, question I have is uh, Latney talked about next best action and relying on your AI to take care of next best action. That that is one of the holy grails right now in the world of B two B sales is not to necessarily run a uh, step-by-step cadence, but to actually, I mean, I, I guess it would just be, I want to go prospect earnest, go tell me what to do. And then I, it says, make a call. All right. I'll make the call. Now it says, okay, you made the call. What's the next best action? So how, how close are you to that Holy grail or, and what <laughs> techniques are you using for next best action? Yeah. So we're definitely making progress. And I will say it's actually baked into a portion of our product where we have an iframe that lives within our Salesforce where it's literally, you know, we have a separate dashboard that says this is the account you should go after. You see the information first thing in the morning, you know, you should be going after them. Once you get into the account in Salesforce, we have a bunch of different fields based upon like the activity from the account, you know, where it's coming from. But then we also have this actions tab where we know, okay, we have an account that's, uh, you know, we're seeing that this research is coming from Tampa Bay. We see that this research is coming from Minneapolis. Here are some recommendations of people that live within your CRM would match into those regions. So you should reach out to them. Here's a sales off case and you should go after with them. We're making progress along those lines, making it a lot easier because you know that's a huge efficiency play where like if you can have an account and you know exactly where the activity is coming from and have it identified as people that are in your CRM, also not to mention people that are not in your CRM where you can purchase the contacts uh, directly from our product to basically start doing outreach towards, we're making progress and making it really seamless for BDRs because obviously that's the, the biggest pain point on our teams. But the last question we want to ask you is, you know, now that you've been working in, you know, as an SDR and then as an SDR leader, what's the most surprising, counterintuitive, constructive piece of advice you have? One for me, because I did run a bunch of sales development organizations. It was like, I came in believing that you did not need to be hyper-focused on activity, that you could just basically focus on results and only coach on activity when the results weren't there. And the big learning for me, and it's kind of a it's kind of a depressing learning because it's not my style, but but I learned this from the Ahamason who formerly ran sales development at AlphaSense, um, that you have to be on people to do like a certain amount of say calls per day, fifty calls per day or whatever, and you can't wait till Friday for them to have done three, you know, two hundred and fifty calls. You have to actually make sure they they do their fiftieth call day. That for me was my big aha. But what's been your biggest like? counterintuitive aha that you changed, you did a 180 on with respect to sales development? Yeah, sure. So first all, I'm going to say, shameless plug for you, your book is phenomenal. If you, if anyone's listening to this and has not read Leading Sales Development, you got to read it, please. But the one thing that I will say, and maybe this kind of ties back to a little bit of my athletic background, but um, you got to make interviewing and onboarding your competitive advantage, period. Like I, I feel like if you are really strong and have a, like a strong understanding of like, like in your book, you talk about general mental ability, like not just what general mental ability is, but like, how do you test for it? Like, how can you spot it? Our way of defining general mental ability is like, how are they connecting the dots between personalization, relevancy, and like what we do as Sixth Sense. And like being able to like really make sure you're keeping yourself honest and like not just because someone on paper looks great and, you know, they, they're a strong referral, but like really making sure that you're attuned to like the high profile you have and knowing what it means to be successful and just being competitive with that across the board and not compromising that. So that's first and foremost. The second thing is with an from onboarding, obviously it makes sense to have a really strong onboarding plan, but uh, we're constantly revising ours and, and like almost like what you do with uh, with a cadence. Like 
every three to six months, we're like looking at, okay, maybe we could have done this one part of our persona teaching a little bit better. Like maybe this one, this one line of uh, how our product can be used more efficiently can be improved. And uh, we, we use it as a way to make sure that when we're bringing people on, they're just getting better and better and better through time. And I've noticed that, you know, when I've gone to organizations and done that, like you, you will actually see the performance increasing because you're focusing on the fundamentals up front uh, that will lead to overall success. Well, thank you so much for an eye-opening conversation. I'm I'm glad uh, that you humored me through my some of my questions around diversity, and hopefully, I did not make a fool of myself <laughs> in the process. You know, we've come a long way, but we have a long way to go to to address that for um, our sales uh, peers of color. And I also appreciated getting really geeky on on sales development since I haven't had the opportunity yet in a long time. So Ernest, thank you so much for being on. Shonday, thanks for being an amazing co-host as ever. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Hey, Salespeople is a production made in partnership with Frequency Media. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever podcasts are found. Thanks for listening to the Hey, Salespeople podcast. 